Tonight is our last night of our series called The Big Issue, and we are going to end on a big issue. Um, This is one of the biggest issues for Christians in our country. It affects how we see marriage. It affects how we see families. It affects how we see other people. Um, It causes picket lines and protests and blog posts, and it causes arguments and hurt feelings, and it is about people. And it's very important that I say this next point, as soon as I'm sure that this guy's not going anywhere. Um, this, ca- th- this issue caused an argument that the church did not start. This is not the church's fault that this is such a big issue. The church did exactly what it was supposed to do. It saw the country going down this path, and so before following, the church looked at what the Bible said, and then looked back at the world and said, you are wrong, but you are loved. Tonight we're going to be talking about the issue of same-sex marriage. And, and some of you guys are very young to be learning about this, but I wish that someone had taught me about this at a young age so that I could know when I got into high school or college. And, I, and then I, when I was asked about it, I would know what to say. So we're going to talk about that tonight, and we're going to dig into that tonight. Um, there's a lot of kind of confusion about this area and, and I kind of see that confusion playing out in two ways that we'll talk about tonight. So tonight what we're going to do is, number one, we're going to talk about what does the Bible actually say about same-sex marriage or homosexuality. So that's number one. And number two is, now that we know what it says, what do we do with that? How do we live that out? And how do we talk to people in love? Because that's the key. How do we talk to people in love about that issue? Um, and obviously tonight I don't have all... You know, I don't have time to cover everything. I just have about 18 different points. No, I'm just kidding. I just have a couple of points that I'm going to walk you guys through. Um, so we don't have time to cover everything. So before we get rolling, I just want to recommend two books really quickly that were huge helps to me um, with this issue. And they're very easy reads. The first one is called, Is God Anti-Gay? It's by a guy named Sam Alberry, who is a pastor in England. And Sam is, wait for it, gay. He is a a pastor in England who experiences same-sex attraction, but he knows what the Bible says about same-sex marriage and about giving in to homosexual desires, and so he has chosen in submission to the Bible and in obedience to God, he has chosen, because he can't just turn this off, he has chosen to live his life celibate. Celibate means you don't date and you don't marry. He has chosen to live his life that way in submission to God. And he writes about that. And he talks about the good days and the bad days. And and it's crazy and it's awesome. And he uses so many verses of Scripture where he was learning this. And he said, I just couldn't get around this verse. There's no way I could live this lifestyle and obey this verse. And I learned a lot from this book. This book is 90 pages. Look at at how little. This is a joke. To read. This is an easy read, guys. 90 pages. Looked at it this morning. It is $8 on Amazon. $8. Okay? $8, 90 pages. Is God anti gay? We'll have this up at the end so you guys can come and take a look at it if you want. Other one. If you're curious as to what does the Bible really teach about homosexuality, I recommend Kevin DeYoung's book entitled What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? Um, It's very straightforward, obviously. He takes a verse from the Bible that talks about homosexuality, and he just opens that up. This is what it means. Here it is. He takes common arguments from today's world that 
wants same-sex marriage. He says, this is why these arguments don't make sense. And he's, he is clear, he is firm, and he is loving, which is exactly what we should be on all issues, but especially this one. We should be clear, firm, and loving. What does the Bible really teach about homosexuality by Kevin DeYoung? 150 pages, a little more in-depth. It's not bad. This one is also $8 on Amazon.com. You can find out about both of these books on our website, pvnstudents.org, and then just click on Books for Students. And they're both in there with kind of a little bit, you know, the back of the book summary. That's on there so you can read a little bit more about it. But seriously, 90 pages, 150 pages, great, great resources. So without further ado, let's see what the Bible really does say about homosexuality and same-sex marriage. Turn to Leviticus chapter 20. Verse 13. Now, Leviticus is the Old Testament, so we'll get to the New Testament in just a minute. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. Now, it's really important to remember also that, you know, the Old Testament covers different things too, like abortion and, um, and adultery and all these other things. And in the Old Testament, you would kill people for things like this. Well, we don't do that anymore. But the heart of how God feels about these things is still relevant. Does that make sense? The heart of how he felt when he wrote this still is relevant. So, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. All right, here we go. And this is one you guys have probably heard before. If a man lies with a male, as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Let's read it one more time. If a man lies with a male, as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. A lot of people focus on kind of the wrong words in there. Here's the most important word in that, entire, in that entire verse, the word they. They and both of, those are the most important words in that verse, and here's why. Here's an argument that you guys are going to hear, and, and maybe not so much, of course, in middle school, but from high school up, you will begin to hear this. Um, this is an argument. When the Bible mentions homosexuality, it doesn't mean that kind of homosexuality. This is what that kind means. This is what people will say. When the Bible mentions homosexuality and same-sex marriage, it's not talking about two people that love each other. It's not talking about two people who care about each other and who like each other. It's not talking about that. When the Bible talks about homosexuality and forbids it, the Bible's actually talking about something, something bad and violent, something like rape. It's talking about that. It's talking about a willing person attacks an unwilling person. And of course, that's bad. That's what the Bible's talking about. That's an argument that you will hear, okay? So let's just go there for a second. Let's assume that Leviticus 20.13 is talking about rape or pedophilia, and it is bad. So if it is talking about rape where you have an unwilling person being attacked by a willing person, here's my question. Why are both of them put to death then? Read it again. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination, and they shall surely be put to death. Why would both of them be put to death if someone attacked the other one? Especially when you think about this. Now, flip over to Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22 Verses 25 and 26. Now keep in mind, this is, we're trying to understand if this was somebody attacking the other person, why would they both be put to death in the Bible? Why, why would God say that? And think about what we're about to read. Deuteronomy 22, verses 25 and 26. But if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed, and the man seizes her and lies with her. So, so this is rape. He has attacked her. 
But if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed, then the man seizes her and lies with her, then, here it is, this is word for word, not making it up, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense. So, that's the law. That's the rule in the Old Testament. The same Old Testament that Leviticus is in. If in the instance of a rape or an attack, if someone is attacked, then only the person who did the attacking, only they are put to death. That's the law. The other person who was attacked, nothing happens to them. Well, well, why not? Well, because they didn't do anything wrong. So here's the question. If it is rape, then why are both of them put to death in Leviticus 20? Well, because it's not rape in Leviticus 20. It's not talking about rape. It's not talking about an attack. It's not talking about an unwilling party and a willing party. Flip over to Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 26. Leviticus 18, 26. And while you're flipping there... Just kind of listen. Leviticus chapters 17 through 20, and there's not going to be a quiz, so don't freak out. Leviticus chapters 17 through 26 is part of what's called the Holiness Code. And this is why it's called the Holiness Code, because it's a list of rules where God is saying, do this and don't do this, and you will be considered holy. You will be considered part of my people if you will do these things and if you will not do these things. Okay? That's why it's called the Holiness Code. And Leviticus 18 is, is not literally, but figuratively, smack dab in the middle of it. Okay? Make sense? Look at 26. This is the Lord speaking. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations. All right. Abomination is just a big word that means a bad thing. You shall do none of these bad things. These things are bad. Okay? For example... Look up to Leviticus 18, verse 22. Leviticus 18, 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an, there it is, abomination. Okay, so now you might be saying, well, of course, Ryan, of course they're all abominations because of the holiness code. In 17 through 26, he just lists them all. Abomination after abomination after abomination after abomination. But... Here's the thing, and you can go home and do this for homework if you really want to. Leviticus chapter 18, if you look through it, it lists all these different things that are bad, that are assumed that they are abominations. Leviticus 18.22 is the only one. Do you see where it says, you shall not lie with a man as with a woman? It is an abomination. They're all abominations. This is the only one in chapter 18 that God goes out of his way to say, this is an abomination. This is not a good thing in my eyes. It's like he's, you know, like when you're on Microsoft Word or in pages, depending on how relevant you are, and you, and you type it, and then you highlight it and you bold it. You know what I'm talking about? Like for a paper, you bold it. It's like what God's doing here. He's boldening this, or he's highlighting this one. Now, are, are all sins equal in God's eyes? Yes. Yes, they are. Is he going out of his way to highlight this one? Yes. Yes, he is. But that's the Old Testament, Ryan. That's the Old Testament. That's Leviticus. That's, nobody reads the Old Testament anymore. That's ridiculous. And, and that's an argument that people will make. That's the Old Testament. What, what does that really matter? In the New Testament, Jesus doesn't even mention homosexuality. 
He doesn't even say the same, he doesn't even use that word. Now, are people right when they say that? Yes, they are. Jesus never uses the word homosexuality in the New Testament. But a couple things about that, okay? A couple things about that. One, and this is first grade, Jesus is a part of the what? Say it. He's a part of the Trinity. The Trinity consists of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are together. Three people, one God, forever. The Trinity was around long before the Bible was written, and it'll be around long after any of us are gone. So they are together forever, always, the end, right? So if they are together forever, always, the end, in Genesis 1, when God the Father, just kind of go with this, in Genesis 1, when God the Father created the heavens and the earth, who else was with God the Father? The Holy Spirit and Jesus the Son. And so, when the Holy Spirit was influencing men to write the books of the Bible, men like Moses, who wrote Leviticus, and what it says about homosexuality, when the Holy Spirit was influencing Moses to write these things, who was with the Holy Spirit during that time? God the Father and Jesus the Son. There, at that point in time, all together, all in agreement, all the time. Christ was there when it was written. Christ knows exactly about same-sex marriage. He knows about it exactly. But let's look at what he does say. Look at Mark chapter 7, verse 21. Mark chapter 7, verse 21. And this is Jesus speaking. Mark chapter 7, verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. All right, here's the thing that you've all heard before. Maybe not all of you, but you'll see what I'm saying. Sexual immorality is two words in English, and it's one word in Greek. Greek is the language the New Testament was written in. It's one word in Greek. It is porneia. Sexual immorality in Greek is porneia. That's the word that we get pornography from, okay? Sexual immorality, porneia, it means, when Jesus says that word, it means everything that is sexually wrong, well, sexually wrong according to what? What is Jesus' standard? Like, what's his rule book? What's he using? Well, Jesus is a Jewish man, right? Jesus was a Jew. Jesus is a Jewish man. What's the rule book that all Jewish men use? The Old Testament, because the Bible wasn't technically written at that point. You see what I'm saying? The Old Testament, including the verses on Leviticus, including those things about same-sex marriage, okay? So when Jesus says porneia, he means sexual immorality. He means Everything that is wrong according to the Old Testament. Porneia means everything, okay? This, and, and people will say, okay, so he, and seriously, this is a legitimate argument. This is what people will say. Yes, he says porneia. He says everything. But he doesn't mention homosexuality. He doesn't mention same-sex marriage explicitly. He doesn't say it specifically. This is what that's like. If I am, let's use Bob. Bob's more fun. If Bob is a megachurch pastor, okay, goals. If Bob is a megachurch pastor, and, he, and he's here, and he says, everyone in this room gets $1,000 when they leave. 
Everyone in this room gets $1,000 when they leave. Okay, let's pick, on, let's pick on Will Leonard for a minute. And Will comes up to Bob at the end and says, I don't get $1,000. Well, Will, why not, buddy? Well, because you didn't mention me explicitly. But, but everyone in here would say, yes, he did. He mentioned you when he said, everybody. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make. He doesn't say explicitly, but he says, everyone. And it's included when he says everyone, okay? Last argument, and then I'll tell you why we're talking about this. Let's talk about shellfish for a second, okay? Let's talk fashion for a minute. Um, this is another one of the arguments that people hear. I, I talked about this at Barry um, earlier today, and a college kid came up to me, and he said, this is what my friends are asking me, and I don't really know what to say. And there's an article about this in the New York Times. Um, this is one of the arguments that people will make who are in favor of same-sex marriage. Yes, the Old Testament forbids same-sex marriage. But the Old Testament also says that you can't eat shellfish. The Old Testament also says that you can't wear fabrics made, that you can't wear clothes made from two different fabrics, cotton and polyester. See you later. You can't, you can't do that. Why, why can we, yeah, why can we not, why, can, why is one of those bad now, but, but, but apparently it's okay to wear, you know, clothes made from two different fabrics, it's okay to eat shellfish. Why, why is that okay? This is where that comes, Okay. The Old Testament has two sets of laws, okay? The ceremonial laws and the moral laws. Moral means right and wrong, okay? That's what morality is, right and wrong. So the Old Testament has moral laws. Don't murder, don't steal. These are moral things. But the Old Testament also has ceremonial laws, you guys remember when Jesus is crucified? One of the things that happens is in the temple, you remember what happens to the veil? The veil gets torn, right? You remember that? When Jesus dies. That symbolizes, and a lot of you guys could probably quote this back to me, that symbolizes that now we have total access to God, okay? That veil separated us from what was called the Holy of Holies, okay? It's the, it's the deepest level of the temple. Only the priest can go in there, and he can only go in there once a year. Okay, But now that the veil is torn, it symbolizes that everybody can go in. But in the Old Testament, it can only be the priest. And in order to go into the Holy of Holies, you are not allowed to eat shellfish. You are not allowed to wear clothes of different fabrics. You are not allowed to eat other certain things. That is ceremonial law. But now that Jesus has died and risen from the grave, we have total access to God. That's another... That's another example of why Christ's resurrection is so cool because it completely flips the Jewish religious system on its head. It's incredible. Um, so now ceremonial law is done with. Now you can wear whatever you want to wear, quote-unquote, and eat whatever you want to eat and still talk to God. You can only do that because Christ has sacrificed himself. It hasn't always been that way. But So there's ceremonial law. But the Old Testament has moral law. Remember, right and wrong. Those things still carry over to the New Testament. Murder is still bad. Adultery is still bad. Things that the Bible in the Old Testament says, this is morally wrong, they're still morally wrong. Does that make sense? That's why we still say same-sex marriage is wrong according to the Bible, and shellfish is not. Paul mentions that homosexuality, that same-sex marriage is a sin. But he never mentions eating shellfish. He never mentions going to Crab Shack. He doesn't mention that because it's done away with now. Make sense? Is that cool? Okay, let's talk about why I'm telling you this and then we'll be done. 
little bit of a shorter night. Um, here's why I'm telling you guys this. Why am I talking to you guys about homosexuality um, and about same-sex marriage? A lot of you guys probably, probably haven't even had to talk about this, but you will. You will. Some of you probably already have. Here are the two reasons I'm telling you guys about this. One is anger. A lot of people are very angry. A lot of Christians are very angry about same-sex marriage. And I'm just going to be honest with you guys. Some of that anger is good. It's good to want to defend marriage and God's view of marriage. This is God's view of marriage. And, and if it's not your view of marriage, there's a problem there. There's a disconnect there. God's view of marriage is a man and a woman. You've heard that before. And you've heard it before because it's true. And you'll continue to hear it because it's true. It's okay to be angry when something that you care about is being attacked. But here's part of the anger that's not good. Okay, A lot of times when you are... When you are asked, why, where in the Bible does it say that same-sex marriage is, is wrong? Where in the Bible does it say that abortion is a thing that God would not be a fan of? This is a lot of times what Christians will say. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know where it is in the Bible, but it's like it's, it's in the Bible. You know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? I don't know what you mean. That's why I'm asking you the question. That's, that's kind of the response that, that you will get, and that's kind of the response that people say, because they don't know. And if you don't know what to say, and everybody is saying stuff at you, it kind of feels like you're getting pushed into a corner. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? And when you get pushed into a corner, and you don't know what to say, a lot of times you'll just lash out in anger. I don't know where it is, but it's in there. So back off. That's, that's kind of how you'll lash out. And guys, the more resources you use, the more prepared you are for these conversations, the more relaxed you can be in these conversations. Because you know, the, you know what to say. And, and the more relaxed you are, and I didn't say you can't be firm. You can be firm in your convictions and in what you say, but the more relaxed you can be about it and the calmer you will be about it. And frankly, the, the more calm, calmer, the more calm you are, the, the more non-Christians are going to want to talk to you. Does that make sense? The more relaxed you can be in these conversations. And now in love, you can say when asked in love, you can say, that's a great question. Let me show you where I get this from. Have you read this book? It's by a pastor who is gay. Let me, let me show you. Let him show you. Let him talk to you about this in a way that I can't. So that's the first reason. The second reason is this. Um, I hear this a lot, and, and, and I'm not a fan. We don't need to worry about the depths of Scripture and the deep things of the Bible. We just need to be, as a church, we just need to love on people. We just need to love people. If you'll just love people, that will take care of it. Don't worry about what you have to learn. Here's the problem with that and the Bible. Loving and learning are not, you can't disconnect those things. Because here's why. The more you learn, the more you will be able to help people. The better you will be able to love on people. For example, did you know that a temptation and a sin are not the same? Did you know that it is not a sin to be tempted? Can you show me where? Here's where that is. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Matthew chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. And I'll tell you about this for a minute, and then I'll show you why this is important. 
and why this will help. Okay, Matthew 6, verse 12 and 13. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So there's a forgiveness. Verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, so you've got forgive us of our debts, forgive us of our sins. You've got that here, and then later you've got lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is Jesus speaking. So even in Jesus' day, it's clear. Sin is something to be forgiven of. Temptation is something to be delivered from. Temptation is not something that you need to ask for forgiveness of. You don't have to turn there, but listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is one of these we've been going over in our small group. I think I could do it by memory, but I don't want to get it wrong. And then it gets weird. Okay, here we go. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when temptation comes, he will provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. Nowhere in that verse is forgiveness mentioned. Temptation is not something to be forgiven of. Temptation is something to stand up under. For example, if someone... um, Let's pick on Sam for a second. If Sam comes up to me and says, Ryan, I was really tempted to look at this thing on my computer and and I didn't look at it. I'm not going to look at Sam and say, you know what you need to do? You need to ask for forgiveness right now. Well, forgiveness, he didn't do anything. You see, that's temptation and sin are two different things. And the last one is Hebrews 4.15, which says that Jesus was tempted in every way. Jesus was tempted in various ways and was without sin. It makes it clear. Christ was tempted, and yet he did not sin. Temptation and sin are different. Why is that important? Because in the future, you very well may have someone come up to you that is tempted with something, a heterosexual lust or a homosexual lust or to steal or tempted to do all these different things and they will say, I see temptation everywhere and I don't want to live in sin like this. I don't want to live against God like this. Who better to say to them and what a cool thing it would be if you could start that conversation by saying, You're not as deep in this as you think. Did you know that temptation and sin are different? And will that that solve everything? No. But how cool will it be for, for the first thing to come out of your mouth to be, this is not as hopeless as you think it is. And now you can show them how temptation and sin are different and the Bible has become a source of hope for people, not condemnation. And that all starts with you guys. Guys, um... The church in America, we, of course, we have to love people. We have to. We have to love people or the church in America will die. It will. The Bible nowhere guarantees that the church in America will survive. We have to love people or the church will die. But if we do not learn, we will die faster. Because how much we learn affects how well we love people. And if you don't learn, then you won't be able to speak truth into people's lives and care for people's lives. Um... Let's be a church that not only loves people, that is not only a wonderful community, but a church that loves people enough to speak truth. And to, I, I don't know what to say to him. Well, 
help learning your Bible may not give you exactly the words to say, but guys, it can't hurt your chances. The more you learn, the more you will be able to love, and the better you will be able to love these people and care for these people. There are books all over our website. There are podcasts all over our website where you can learn and and pause and go back and write this down again so that that way you can keep it on your phone, in your notepad, on your phone, and that way you can say, hang on a second, let me pull this up and show you where this is. Let us be a church that loves, but let us also be a church that, that shows other people that we love Christ. There's a difference between loving people and showing people that you love Jesus. Loving Jesus means submitting to his word and saying, I know this is hard. It's hard for me too, but I cannot come above this. I love you. I want to talk to you about this. Let me show you where I get this from. I hope that we can continue to be a church like that and continue to grow like that. Let's pray and, uh, and then we'll be out of here.